We're going to uncage today. This is the last in the series of uncaged, and I think it might be the best, except for Adam. Genesis chapter 2. You can read it on the screen if you're lazy and don't have a Bible, or you can pull it up on your phone in the Bible app, and you can get all the notes there as well. We'll start in verse 8. We're going to jump around a little bit, so you got to pay attention. Still part of the creation story. Chapter 2, verse 8 of Genesis. Listen to this. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. In the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Therefore, skip down to verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked. It's just in the Smoky Mountains. I think that's the way you pronounce that, right? They're both naked and we're not ashamed. By the way, this is a PG-13 sermon. We already said naked. Now skip down to chapter 3. So God created Adam, created a garden for him to be in, put him in the garden, and then gave him a wife and made them naked. Somebody should clap for that. And they were not ashamed. Did you hear that? They were naked and not ashamed. They had no idea. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Let me point something out here real quick. It appears to me that she did not even go around the tree that God told her not to eat until the Satan enticed her to go around it. There is something to be said about avoiding sin at all costs. If he gave you your own tree to play in, play in that one. Don't go around the one he told you not to get in. So he tempts her and it says at, that she realized it was good for food. She's strolling around the whole Garden of Eden, not worried about the one thing that God told her not to do. She's avoiding it. Why even go around it? Why even entertain sin? So she ate it, gave some to her stupid husband. (laughs) Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then he said, who told you that you were naked? Father, we thank you for your word, God. We believe it's going to free us today from the bondage of sin, from the cage of sin. We ask you to do a work in our lives that we can't do on our own. We thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, sit down, quick. Sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. We've been talking about uncaging ourselves, the church, ourselves, our marriages. We've talked about all kinds of things, finances. I believe God's intention for you was to be free. Can you agree with that? He created man free. He breathed into Adam and created him as a free individual. Now, I want to point out something here. I did this in the first service and I burned up a lot of time on it, but I think it's important. We have a, we have a, a decent, a good population of single people here in our church. And uh, I have been married longer than I was single, uh, but that doesn't um, disqualify for me to speaking into single people's lives. Amen. Amen? Just because I ain't a teenager doesn't mean I ain't going to tell them what to do. <laughs> One of the things that I believe we do early on in our lives, and I can remember this in my life before I got married, I thought that the completion of my life was to be married. I thought that I would not be a whole person until I found a spouse. Now, I happen to found one better than yours, but um, I just thought that there was something missing. And I started studying at the beginning of Genesis, and what you realize is that God created Adam. The Bible says that he created Adam in his own image perfect. There was no flaws in Adam. He was a perfect creation of God. God formed him from the dust of the earth, breathed his very life into him. And he breathed for the first time. The first breath from Adam was the breath from God. <gasps> and he lived. Now what happens is that God creates a garden for Adam in Eden, in the east of Eden, God creates a garden. It's perfect. There's all kinds of stuff for Adam to do. There's animals, there's plants, there's, I mean, everything is perfect. God puts him in the garden and then says, you may eat of every tree in the garden except this one. Have at it, bro. Man, this is going to be great. Now what we do is we superimpose our own life onto Adam, and we think Adam was this lonely individual strolling around the garden with no one. He couldn't find a mate. He looked at a goat and was like, I don't know. They're not that cute. And he looked at an elephant. They're too big. Nobody's like me. And then we assume that Adam was lonely and incomplete. But what we fail to realize is Adam was created in God's image, and he was in God's presence. And so God didn't create Adam as a lonely and needy individual because God was all Adam needed. And Adam wasn't running around tugging on God's coattails going, God, I'm so lonely, I don't know what to do with myself. Matter of fact, a mate was not Adam's idea. Some, somehow he knew better than some of us. 
God came to Adam and said, it's not good that man should be alone. Did you realize that? It wasn't from Adam's petition to God. But then we think, oh, God made a mistake and he only created Adam. But do you realize God never lets the sunrise come up and goes, that's a beautiful sunrise. Oh, I got a new idea. God never has new ideas. If you know everything about everything all the time, you're all knowing, you're you're everywhere, you know everything, you're omniscient, you're all powerful, you're omnipresent, you're everywhere. If you know everything, you never have a new idea. God never goes, oh, wait, I didn't think about that. And so what we see as him creating Adam and then going, oops, I should have made him somebody to hang around. Was God from the very beginning just indicating to Adam that it's not good for you to be alone? Can't God interrupt your life in the middle of it and it not be a new idea to God? So what happens is God looks at Adam. Adam is not an incomplete person. Adam is not running around going, oh man, he gave me this perfect place. I've got the perfect body. Come on guys, you're still working on it. Adam had it. Could you imagine how content he was? He's like, look at this. He was perfect. And he created him to be in communion with God. So here's what happens. God's idea, not Adam's, God creates Eve. But God did not create Eve, so then he would have to compete with Eve for Adam's time. I'm going to say that again because all of you are asleep. God did not create Eve so that then God would have to compete with Eve for Adam's attention. That's not why he created Eve. But here's what happens. When we are single, we believe that until we are in relationship with somebody else, that we're not complete. And that's not what God says. God says he created us in his image to have a relationship with him. And so he says, you are a complete person, but I did create you to be with somebody else. So it's both and. It's not one or the other. Do you understand? It's not I'm incomplete, so I need somebody else. It's I'm complete, but God designed me to be with somebody else. Come on, that's different. It's like, it's like a truck It's like a truck that is a truck, right? It doesn't need anything else to be a truck. But if you put a cap on the back of it, you're like, man, that's even better. So it wasn't that Adam was with incomplete. It was that God said, listen, you are complete in relationship with me. And now I'm going to make it better, even better than you could have imagined. So then he made Eve and Adam was like, whoa, I didn't think it could get any better, but you just did it. So what happens is as a single person, we create a cage around ourselves and we say, until I find the right person, I'm not complete. And here's my advice to you as a single person. Realize that in Christ you are already complete. Because if you become needy and go into a relationship as a needy person and you're more than likely to find another person that's needy, it's a disaster waiting to happen. Find somebody that is in a relationship with God that's just 
like your relationship with God, and then both of you together can be in a relationship with God. Amen? Because what happened was, Adam was in perfect communion with God. Eve didn't come along and ruin that. Eve came along and multiplied that. And so as a single person, get this right, and then you're just exponentially creating a better relationship with God when, when your spouse comes along. But here's what we do. I am so encaged by this idea that I have to some, have somebody else to fulfill my life that I'll pick anybody. How many people I look at doing this going, you want to get married? You do realize what's going to happen, right? The person that you have fell in love with because you engaged yourself in this idea that you had to have somebody. And so the dog drugged this bum up the other day. And you fell in love with him. <laughs> I'd rather you be in love with a dog, I'll be honest. You fell in love with him, and then you assigned God's will to something he didn't check off. All because you encaged yourself in the idea that you had to be with somebody. And I'm begging you for the sake of the family, for the sake of children, be okay with this. Be fulfilled in your relationship with God. And then in your relationship with him, he has the capability to make it exponentially better with the right person. Don't try this experimental marriage where you, where you serve God and the other person just gets drug along in the adventure. When two people in their personal relationship with God get together like Adam and Eve did, it's an amazing circumstance. And it's the one God designed. So I just want to clear that up front. That ain't got nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. But I just saw that when I was studying. I was thinking, there's so many single people that base their whole worth on finding somebody else when that's not what God said about you. Freedom. Freedom. How many of you want to be free this morning? We're going to get there. We're going to get there together. If God is offering freedom, that must mean there's something to be free from. You know, in our society today, we have a really hard time with the word sin, don't we? Like, well, what's sin to you is not sin to me, obviously. <laughs> but the result of sin is the same thing. The result of sin is death every time. And you may be able to string it out a little ways. Bible says the sin is pleasurable for a season. And I am the pastor that will admit wholeheartedly that it is really pleasurable for a season. If it wasn't, you wouldn't do it. If sin, if sin hurt the first time you did it, we'd never do it again. But sin feels good the first time we do it. Amen? But self-righteous people in the church. Come on, you know it feels good. So what happens is we sin and then we need freedom from that sin. And in and of ourselves, we cannot get freedom from that sin. Because if we could, you'd have stopped already. I'd have stopped already. Paul would have stopped already. Paul wrote 
that the things he didn't want to do, he did, and the things he, that he wanted to do, he didn't do. And, it, and, and he was battling nonstop to the end of his life trying to figure that whole situation out. But he said that in Christ, there was freedom from all that. That, it, that in his physical strength, he couldn't muster it up, but that God, through Christ, offered him the freedom to be free from sin. So if God is offering you freedom, that must mean it's freedom from something, and that something is sin. So in our society, I know that's not a popular sermon. I know that's not popular. That Like, oh, is he judging me? I'm not judging you. That Tupac thing just pops in my head every time. I'm sorry, I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, only God can judge me. You know what? I would much rather be judged by you than God. Makes it easier, doesn't it? Judge me, let's get it over with now. Before I have to stand in front of him and have no excuse. I, I would think that I would invite judgment into my life. Mm. I told the first service that you guys would say amen more. Now I'm not sure. <laughs> Eat of any tree except this one and you will live. Eat from this one and you will die. As long as I don't eat from that fruit, I am free from death. God gave them life and they chose not to be free. You do realize that, right? Right from the very beginning, God offered them freedom, created them free. Romans 6.19 says, I'm using, I'm using an example from everyday life because of her human limitations. Don't you love it when a guy starts the beginning of his paragraph with, you're too dumb to understand this, so I'm going to make it really simple. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. He said you were in bondage to sin, which separated you from righteousness. So because you were in bondage to sin, God offers you freedom. Now listen to this, verse 21 of Romans chapter 6. This is an underlinable verse. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Wow. The things that I'm now ashamed of, what benefit did I reap from them? He said those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But there's a comma, comma, but the gift of God, come on, is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If he's offering you freedom, then there's a bondage that you need to be released from. And we can't be a church that's lighthearted about sin like, oh man, it's fine. There's freedom offered this morning. And the reason there is freedom offered this morning is because we're in a bondage of sin that you can personally do nothing about except the offer of freedom from Jesus. So if there's freedom, there must be something to be freed from. Now, back to the garden. God creates Adam, breathes life into him, creates a perfect garden, puts him in it, and says, hey man, go at it. Do what you do. Why don't you name the animals? Why don't you start eating some good fruit. But, as you're enjoying all of this unbelievable, magnificent creation, there's one thing. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do that. 
Because as soon as you eat of it, you'll surely die. Now, I need you to know this morning that in order to be free, you have to know the difference between guardrails and cages. You have to know the difference between guardrails and cages. Because we live in a society that as soon as you say you can't do something, then that's automatically the incentive for me to do it, right? Come on, you have either been a teenager or you raised a teenager. Don't play in the road. Ha! You shouldn't have said that. Because now I'm going to play in the road. Listen, I don't want you to go out and drink alcohol. Oh, there's something good about alcohol you don't want me to have. Oh, you're just trying to keep the fun out of it, Dad. And so some of us grew up that way. Hey, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. So you go to your friend's house, spend the night because their parents did allow them to do that. And you thought since you were under the jurisdiction of someone else, it was fine. Wait a second. I'm the only one that did that. It's like I thought I was in another state where it was legal. Like I moved out of dad's state and I moved into my neighbor's state, right? And the neighbor's parents said it was cool. So I'm like, I'm with them today. So I'm under their law. Dad's like, my law is universal. It's intercontinental. The difference between guardrails and cages. See, guardrails keep you on the road that will lead you to the peak. It will lead you to the best life. It will leave you, lead you to the joyous life. It will lead you to the life of fullness and of the life Jesus intended. He said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. So in order to do that, you have to have guardrails set up to keep you on the road that leads you there, right? So what we do is we complain about the guardrails that are keeping you on the road to prosperity. Eat of any tree in the garden except this one. Well, why can't I eat that one? Because you'll die. And so God says things like this. I want you to wait till you're married to have sex. Oh, God, were you trying to keep me from having a good life? No. I'm trying to get, let your marriage be the best it could ever be. Yeah, but that guardrail's mean. No, it's not. It's not mean. It's to try to guide you in a direction that you will live the most fulfilled life ever. So he says, before you're married, don't sleep with anybody. But then after you're married, do it as much as you want. With the, with the same person. Like, we're in 2017, man. I got to make a clarification on everything. Shoot. Pastor just told me I could have at it. Like, any, no, I didn't. So, so let me get this straight. So we think the guardrail of not before marriage hinders our life so much. That we can't experience joy and happiness in that. When after we're married, he says, listen, man, sky's the limit. Treat your wife right. That's the key. <laughs> They're like, ah, don't stop short. So God says, I'm just putting out some guardrails. That's all. I'm just putting out guardrails. Like, like don't have an affair with your neighbor. Oh, that's so mean. No, it'll keep you from getting shot. It'll keep you from destroying your family. It'll keep you from all kinds of things. So it's not mean. It's not a cage. It's a, just a guardrail. You're driving to the full life. You're driving on the road. We were just in the Smoky Mountains, and we're driving up 6,000 feet. And I'm going, dude, I know the view's great up there, but I'm glad the guardrail's over here. 
because I got like a 7,000 pound truck. And that thing would go off the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the mountains. I ain't even paying attention to the road. Isn't that our life sometimes? Mm. We're busy driving and we don't even see it happening. And then we bump into the guardrail, but the guardrail is designed to throw you back into the middle of the road. It's never designed for you to drive through it. It's designed to gently go, boom, back into the middle of the road. And so the guardrail bumps you back into the middle of the road, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're in the will of God. The guardrails keep you in the will of God. They are not cages. A, you can't drive a cage to the top of the mountain. So it's not God putting a bunch of angry rules over us. It's him putting guardrails for us to live. Uh, okay, come on, we're going to steer your life in the right direction. That's all. When you're in a relationship, I want it to look like this. When you're dealing with other people, I'd like it to look like this. Why do I have to, God, why do I have to be honest? Because it's the best life for you. Come on, trust me. So could you imagine Adam and Eve looking at God going, dude, really? Everything but that tree. Really? And then Satan comes along. And he's so good. He's more cunning than any other beast that God created. He's so cunning because he gives them the idea that the one thing that they can't do is the thing that they must do. And he does it to us all the time. The, the one thing that God says, hey, listen, I just want, I, I'm trying to steer you this way. Yeah, but what about, I looked over the cliff and it looked really good down there. You know, I'm not sure I want to go all the way to the top. I'd like to do a pull-off and experience some of this over here. And he's going, no, 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 no. Just stay in the guardrails. Stay in the guardrails. And then we get, and then Satan comes in and says, hey, the stuff you're missing outside the guardrail might be worth stopping for. And what happens is you never stop and then get back in the vehicle. You always stop and build a cage around yourself. People that try the grass on the other side rarely ever make it back to their side of the fence. You've heard this said before. If you want grass that's as green as the other side, why don't you water your own a little bit? Right? I don't know. Go to Walmart, buy some fertilizer. Take care of it a little. Because listen, that abundant life is God steering us. And, and it's like Mario Kart. The better you stay in between the lines, the faster you'll be, the more you'll accomplish, and the, and the farther you'll go. But as soon as you start driving outside the lines, guess what happens? Your life begins to slow down. It begins to have difficulties. It begins to all these things start piling up. And you begin to build the cage around your life that keeps you from experiencing all that God has for you. There's a difference between guardrails and cages. And don't get the two confused. When you sin, you create another bar on the cage. The Bible says that once they had eaten of the fruit, then both of their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. You know, this, God's idea of freedom fascinated me. Looking at this, he created them absolutely naked. And they had no idea. You ever had a baby? You know, when our kids were little, 
you know, put a diaper on them, they run through the house, rip the thing right off. And it's not because you're afraid to see them naked that you put the diaper back on. You're afraid they're going to poop in the living room. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You ever had a kid do that? Like, oh, they're so cute. And then right in the corner, you're like, that ain't cute. That ain't none of that cute. None of that cute. So God created them as free as you could humanly be. And as soon as sin entered into the picture, they began to put their own restrictions on themselves. They built their own cages. They did it themselves. They sinned, and then instantly they went, whoa, (laughs) this ain't good. All of a sudden, something that God designed for them to experience in the fullness of him now became shameful, just like what we had talked about earlier. The thing that God designed between a man and a woman to last forever till death do us part, bar knowing interruption, no interruptions, richer for poor, sickness and in health, pretty much covers everything. This is how you would experience the fullness of life. And then, and then they took it and messed it up by doing what God told them not to do. And now the very thing that God created them to enjoy in an unbelievable relationship was now something that brought them shame. Come on, church. How many things in our lives that God created for us to enjoy in the perfect relationship, and now all of a sudden we did it outside of his will and his guardrails, and now the same thing that he originally created us to enjoy, now we're ashamed of. They built their own box, put every weld on the bars themselves. And so now they're sewing fig leaves together. I didn't even know they could sew. Imagine that first loincloth, it probably looked pretty sketchy, probably done in haste. Don't we always build cages in haste? (laughs) We don't sit down and plot it out. We just sin and then realize now we're ashamed. How are we going to cover this up? And so we're rushing around trying to figure it out. And I imagine God's like, fig leaves? <laughs> What'd you pick fig leaves for? Hey, Adam, where are you? <laughs> I'm over here, God. What are you doing? Well, we heard you walking through the garden and we were a little nervous because we were naked. We told you that. Who told you you were naked? Oh, well, see. See, there's this thing happened. and We ate, we ate of that one tree. You know those guardrails you put up? We did that one thing, and now we realize that, that now we're ashamed of the very thing that you gave us to be proud of, the very situation you put us in to be proud of. Now we're ashamed of that same situation, so we covered ourselves up. And we've created our own cage here, right in the place that you put us right in the place that was supposed to be safe and secure and full of you, right in that place you put us. You know the word put there when, he, when it said God put Adam? It, me, it actually literally means to be in a safe, secure place. Like the, the image you get is to be safe, secure, in the presence of God experiencing him like you were designed to be. And so he put him in a place and then Adam sinned and now he's ashamed in the very place God put him. Oh, church. Guardrails are so much easier to navigate than cages. Just accept 
the will of God in your life. Accept the boundaries he's placed on your life. Accept them for what they are designed to make your life full and don't resist and aggravate them because every time you do, you put another bar in the cage and it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter until there's no place to go. I got good news for you. I got really good news for you. You know, you, we build the cage, right? We're good at it. But what we're not good at is putting locks on the door that God can't get through. And so, the cage you built, you can open the door. And the most beautiful thing ever is that you're not a good locksmith. You're not. And so the cage that you're living in today you can actually just open up the door and walk out. You can actually just open up the door and walk out. Watch this. Watch this. Revelations 3, chapter 3. John's revelation of who Christ is in the end times, all this stuff is happening. Early on in chapter 3, it says, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who lets me in. Did you hear that? You have control of who comes and goes. You have control when the door opens. You can decide today that you don't want to be caged up anymore. You can decide right now that the time of you being, your life being caged up and controlled by sin, being a slave to sin can end at this moment. He said, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who will let me in, what does it say? I will come in. I will come into him, I will sup with him, and he with me. He said, if you will open up the door, I will start a relationship with you. Wow, you're really not excited about that. You're like, I don't know, I got a couch in the cage, it's fine. I got sports channels. If you're weary of dealing with the effects of living outside of the guardrails that God provided and you've built a cage around your life that has limited you and what you can accomplish, you're ashamed and regretful for what you have done. And the the very thing that you're ashamed of now, Paul says, what benefit has it brought you? If you're tired of living like that, the Bible says that he's standing there knocking on your cage, that he's standing there knocking on your situation saying, hey, listen, just open the door. All you got to do is open the door. And when you open the door, I'll come in with you. And I'll sit there and eat with you. And the beautiful part about this is that he will walk right into your situation. He'll walk into your shame. He'll walk into your guilt. He'll walk into your stupid little loincloth that you put together. You didn't even know how to sew and you got a fig leaf. That was weird. And he'll walk right into that. And he'll say, calm down. I'm here. I'm here. Let's get something to eat. Let's start a relationship right here. Now watch this. The best thing about this, the absolute best thing about this is when he knocks and you let him in. He says he will come in and eat with you, start a relationship. He'll, he'll, he'll be with you. It'll change it. And then you get to dismantle that cage. Because you don't actually forget, do you? You can't put it out of your mind, all those things. Like, my wife will laugh at me a lot of times. I don't remember whole sections of my life growing up. I don't know why. It wasn't important. 
I just don't remember. But there's a lot of things I do remember. And I'll never get rid of those memories. But here's what happens. <clears throat> Paul says in Romans 8.28, all things work together. I'm going to need a drink or it's not going to work together. <clears throat> all things work together for those that love God are calling to his, according to his purpose. So watch this. Knocks on the door. <clears throat> hey, Chris. See how nice little cage you have. I'm here. We're going to get out of this thing today. <clears throat> I'm offering you freedom that you never experienced. I'm offering you a way out. All I need you to do is open the door. And so I open the door, and he walks in, and we bro hug. Dude, I'm glad you're here. He's like, man, I've been standing out that door a long time waiting on you to open it up. I've seen you built this thing. This is a strong cage. But listen, I'm in here now. We're going to get refreshed, renewed, and then we're going to tear this thing down together. But we're not going to take it to the landfill. Thank you. We're not going to take it to the landfill. We're going to use it. That thing you built up around you, we're going to use it. We're going to tear it down, and the thing that the devil meant to destroy you, now you're going to use it for my glory. And so that thing that you were ashamed of, and that you sowed the fig leaf for, that very thing that you're ashamed of, now you're going to pick it up and whip the devil with it. Now you're going to pick it up and carry it with you, and you're going to show people how God can set you free from the cage. And they're going to look at all that metal you're dragging behind you, and they say, what was that? Man, that was a cage I used to live in. Aren't, don't you think it's crazy? Yeah, man, that's crazy. But I opened the door up one day to Jesus, and he walked in, had dinner with me, we started a relationship, and then we tore the cage down. And now all I got to do is, now all I got to do is tear it and, and use it. And so listen. He takes those things that the devil meant for evil and he uses them for good. And so the thing that you built the cage around your life, he will raise you up out of that thing. He will deliver you from it, set you free from it, and then you tear it down and then you pick up the pieces and you say, all right, God, this thing once used to entrap me, but now I'm going to use it for your glory. I'll tell the story of how you delivered me from it. I'll tell the story of how you set me free from it. I'll tell the story of how you healed me from it. I'll pick up the piece and show everybody the great thing you've done in my life. And you can experience freedom like you've never experienced before. But one thing I'll ask today is that you just open the door up. You have the key to it. You have the way to open it. And Jesus is standing at it this morning, knocking as hard as he's ever knocked for you to open it up. Could you stand with me? Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus, you convict us of sin. Today, Lord, if, there, if you've offered us freedom, there's sin to be free from. And so I pray that everyone that has created a cage around them that has inhibited their life, the life you've intended them to live, they're living below what you've called them to live because of the sin cage that they've built. I pray that the knock would be louder today than it's ever been. And I pray that they'd open up the door. I pray that they'd experience freedom like never before today, this very moment. I pray that you'd invade their life and offer them freedom. I pray that you'd renew them today and set them free. God, I know that Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted and set the prisoner free. 
So I ask that you do that. Hey, listen, if there's one of you in here this morning that would say, they would say, I need to get out of this cage. It's bound me up. It's got me tied down. I can't do anything. And I hear him knocking, and I'm going to open the door today. I want to be free. If you just lift your hand, maybe it's the first time you've ever made this decision. I want you to know, come on, I see hands going up. I want you to know that he's here for you, ready to set you free. And he who the Son has set free is free indeed. Amen. Come on, church. Can we celebrate what he's doing this morning? Father, we thank you. We give you honor and glory. We thank you for the people of the set today that have made a decision not to stay in this cage anymore, but you've offered them freedom. I pray that they'd experience newness of life in you today, a life full like you intended us to experience. We thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, say amen and give him glory one more time. Amen and amen.